you are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Well, this morning, I've got a word for you. I was watching yesterday on, on uh, Google News, and up popped this major news item. What's a major news item? Uh, there were riots in, uh, not riots, there were demonstrations, I should say, rallies held in Melbourne, in Sydney, and in Brisbane. And in Melbourne, though, it, it, it actually met the news headlines because Victorian police had to arrest 218 people. 218. They issued 236 fines. Think about that for a moment. 236 fines, each worth $5,452. I thought I'd just put that together. It's basically $1.3 million worth of fines. Wow. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying whether it was, I'm not supporting it or I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying how interesting. But it was this comment that jumped out at me. A police officer stated, and this is quote-unquote, it's just ridiculous that people would be this selfish. And I thought, how interesting, because we've just been talking in New Testament class. How many people go to New Testament class? You attend New Testament class every week. See, show hands. That's fantastic. All right, let's give a hand, everyone, for these guys. Brilliant. You can tell, you can ask them, hey, you know, anything, can I ask you anything about New Testament? You'll say, absolutely, I know what I'm doing ish. Anyway, it's, it's wonderful to see so many people in this New Testament class, and they're growing in the knowledge of the Word of God. But we were talking about the book of Corinthians, the first Corinthians and the second Corinthians, and the reason why Paul had to write each of these letters. And it was because it was a trigger, because there was terrible things happening in the life of this church. Now, keep in mind, this is just a new church. According to some commentators, they're only about three months old. So Paul had left them three months ago, and all of a sudden he's hearing news that there's massive problems going on. And he writes this thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, you are still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And here's the point that Paul is trying to make is that when you become redeemed in the way you think, when you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, I realize there is something quality in following the ways that Jesus has set aside for us. If I do this, my life will turn around. And Paul is, in fact, saying, indeed, it will change. You will become more than mere men. We're supposed to be a people, followers of Jesus, filled with faith, filled with hope, filled with joy. We're supposed to be kind of people where when trouble comes, it amps up your faith. When trouble comes, it produces the very best inside of you. Can anyone say amen to this one? You're all very quiet like, oh, I'm just going through right now, Pastor. When hardship comes, it's your training gym for promotion. The people of God, the followers, when the power of sin is upon them, it is actually broken. The power of sin is broken over your life. And followers of Jesus, we experience freedom that the world still has yet to comprehend. They never will comprehend. 
They don't understand it because the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus comes from a position of victory. Come on, that's right there. An amazing thing. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. This is going to be a central passage today. The book of James in chapter 4. If you're thinking, well, I didn't bring a Bible today, feeling really unholy, grab your phone like you meant it and open up the browser. Open up your browser and just type in James 4, colon, 1-4. 1-4. James chapter 4, verses 1-4. to So while you're turning there, if the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus comes from a position of victory, then it would stand to reason that the devil will do everything he can to remove you from your place of victory. Are you with me? Are you with me? So everything about your life is supposed to be lived from a position of victory. Now, I know that we can go through hardships. I'm not denying that. And I'm not saying we're trying to be stupid. No, 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 I refuse to. No, you're in hardship. That's fine. But it's the position that you come from. Because when you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says you are seated in heavenly places with him. You are not alone. You are not a victim here. Do you understand that? If the Bible says that every problem that comes your way, God allows it to happen, then he only allows it to happen if he knows and believes absolutely. He knows that you will succeed. You will become victorious. So whatever trouble you're in, I'm hearing it now, whatever trouble you're in, you are supposed to win anyway. That's the position of victory. So how does the enemy remove you from a position of victory. I want to give you a tactic that the enemy uses. By the way, if you're wondering what is the title of the message, you can write this one down in your smart devices. N, capital N, and then write down a capital V. Okay, it's a formula. N, V equals no victory. Have you put it together yet? Envy equals no victory. Oh, you guys are fat. See, it's the younger generation, all the older ones are scratching their head thinking, what the? Oh, I don't understand what's going on. I think my son was quoting something from, uh, <laughs> we were watching like Cobra Kai. I don't know it's a bad thing, but Cobra Kai is saying, you know, was it hash, hash brown <laughs> victory? You know, Sorry about that. Envy equals no victory. So let's read together James chapter 4, just reading verses 1 to 4. You ready? He writes, this is James, the brother of Jesus. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a great question, right? What does? I wonder about that. What is causing us as a body of Christ? Why do we fight? We're supposed to be in a position of victory. Why do we fight? You're thinking, oh, pastor, we don't do that here in this place. <laughs> you know, we never fight. Husbands and wives, look at each other right now. If you're here in this play together, you know, oh, my goodness. We never uh, Okay, yeah. What causes the fights and the quarrels among you? So Paul is acknowledging the fact everyone will go through this. Okay, there is that point where you want to, but what do you do with it? But here's what he says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now stop for a moment and think back to when you were last upset and angry. Ask yourself this question. Why were you angry? Just think about it for a moment. Because you're going to start to discover... Most of it comes from what Paul's saying. There are desires inside of us. The desires were not met. My standard was not quite reached, and I'm upset about that. You didn't do what I asked you to do. 
You didn't make my eggs the way you make Make that stinking eggs yourself. But you didn't make it the way. It's your turn to make breakfast. You didn't wash the dishes. What is it that causes the fights and the quarrels? Let's go to verse 2. Paul, uh, James says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Now, I want you to notice the words here. It's saying you're killing, you're lying, you're cheating, you're stealing, but you're still not, you're still not satisfied. Let me tell you something. It's the most interesting thing. We live in a world that is among the smallest of populations of the world when it comes to wealth. We are the richest of the nations. The Americans, the European nations, Australia, we are rich. But just go across the next, uh, next door, overseas. You'll see in the Southeast Asian countries, you've got India. You've got places like, you know, uh, uh, far-reaching places like Papua New Guinea that are, they struggle and live in poverty, yet they're happy. They're happy. But we struggle with our plenty, and we think to ourselves, we don't have enough. We're constantly wanting more, and when we finally get more, it still isn't enough. Think about this for a moment. I remember chatting with a pastor friend of mine. We worked together many years ago. He became a missionary. And he says, Paul, the most interesting thing is when I went to India, it, the place is just so many places where, that are so filled with poverty. We're talking dirt poor, ground dirt poor. They're living on the ground. That, that's what they live in. That's their floor in their home. And some of them, it's so bad, they actually literally eat dirt. They're so hungry. They make dirt cakes. Hard to believe, right? Dirt cakes is they're so hungry, all they want to do is fill their belly. And so they look at you. In fact, if they can find the poorest person in this nation, they would say, wow, they're so rich. Of course, that per poor person in our nation is looking at you, middle-income earner, and thinking, wow, you're so rich. I can't wait to be like you. And then the middle-income earners are looking at the millionaires thinking, wow, they're rich. And then the millionaires are looking at the, you get what I'm saying? The multimillionaires, wow, they're rich. Multimillionaires are going to billionaires. It just never ends, never satisfied. Everyone okay with so far? He says, you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. Here's the thing we never quite seem to understand. Sometimes the reason you're in your hardship, sometimes the reason you don't have is simply because you're not praying. I'm going to give you some keys, by the way, so hang on to that thought. He says, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I'm not saying, again, the Bible's not saying pleasure is bad. God made you. God made your body. He made your mind. He knows what makes you happy. He's put you on this planet for a reason. He wants you to enjoy. You're not supposed to endure it. You're supposed to enjoy it. Absolutely. But when you, the pursuit of pleasure is the thing that drives you day after day after day, that's when it becomes a trap. Let's go to verse 4. He continues, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You know, as a church, I remember growing up in the 80s in church, 70s and 80s. Can I see some hands? You were with me in the 70s and 80s? Do you remember the songs we used to sing back then? Do you remember what we used to wear back then? 
we were so daggy. I don't know if that word is still in, in vogue today. We were just so daggy, like nerds in comparison to today. Today, we're just so cool. You know, we were all, I'm wearing jeans today. I remember going up in church. I remember when I first became a pastor, I had to wear slacks. Remember, I had to wear shirt and tie. That's how we used to dress up. I remember the first time I wore a pair of jeans, I'm feeling like a heathen. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness. But I did that. I had to do it because the guest speaker from overseas, all he had were jeans. I said, that's okay, that's okay. You wear the jeans and I'll wear my jeans. I'll come pick you up and we'll take you to church. And it was the first time I was wearing it loudly and proudly. I felt pretty bad about it, but I felt pretty good too. It's like, wow, it's comfortable. And now look at us today, 20, 30 years later, we are so cool. <laughs> look to the person next to you and say, you're so cool. Turn to the other person and say, you're awesome. Because... <laughs> Because we're trying so hard because we want to be relevant to the world. But I wonder if we've made some sacrifices along the way. Because we're supposed to be different. Yet we're trying to be relevant. And, I, I, you know, there's this fine line between being relevant and crossing that line and not being a difference at all, but being like everyone else. I think there's a real problem in the church if we look exactly like your workplace. The same attitudes, the same behavior patterns, that same, I don't know who God is. I'm just here in this place. I'm God smacked. I'm just here. I'm just glad to be here. If we look like the world, there's something terribly wrong about us. Because we're supposed to go on a journey where we grow more and more in love with God. We get to know, this is the thing, the more you learn about him and how good he really is, and let me tell you, those of us who've lived, lived and walked on this planet and gone through all kinds of hell, all kinds of hardship, and come through the other side by the grace of God, we're just sort of like, we're just sweet. Like, oh, God is good. I know him. I knew him in the valleys. I knew him when I walked through my problems. I knew him when I walked through my marriage was breaking down. I knew him when I was fired from that job and had to find something else and we could barely survive. I knew him then and I know him now. I love him more today. You're all quiet right now. You see, when you live and act like the world, you cannot live in a place of victory. The Bible says that you are salt and light to the earth. You know what it's like to turn a light on in the darkness? Can you hide it? No. It's very, very obvious. We're supposed to be obvious. We're supposed to stick out. And so this victory is going to cause you to stick out because everyone else, oh, you know, Facebook is busy, social media is busy, but you're just full on in power. God, but God, but God. So I want to talk to you today about envy. And when I say that, I want you to understand that envy and jealousy often go hand in hand together. So let me try and address this question. What is envy? Before I say what it is, let me tell you what it isn't. Envy isn't dreaming about future goals. That's a good thing. Envy isn't working hard to provide for your family. Envy isn't working hard to save up and purchase things to make your house a home. That's not what it is. Envy is not working hard to climb the corporate ladder. I think it's very, very important that we're always striving to be the very best we possibly can be. That we are using our talents and our giftings as an act of worship towards God. But what makes envy, envy is the things that stir up discontentment in you. 
It is the thing that causes you to become jealous or to despise someone. And God spelled it out in his Ten Commandments this way. He said in Exodus 20, 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see that all the way through. It's all the way through the Bible. Why? Because we struggle with this. The hell bent of our heart is to want to envy, to want things that we don't currently have, and to be so driven to get that thing. Let me think, let's talk about this. Envy began with Adam and Eve. Think about this for a moment. What do you mean? Well, the Bible tells us that God says you can have anything in the garden. You can have everything in the garden, anything you want except for one tree. And guess what? They wanted the one thing they couldn't have. That's called envy. Dr. Gary Collins, he makes his comment. He says, to envy is to want something that belongs to another person. Whereas jealousy is the fear that something which we possess will be taken away by another person. It often refers to anxiety, which comes when we are afraid that the affections of a loved one might be lost to a rival. We fear that they will be lured away by some other person who, when compared to us, is better looking, more capable more successful, and so it causes us to shift our attention away from God into things, which is a direct violation of the Ten Commandments, the first two. What does the first two say? It says this, you shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God. The second one is, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You you shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. The thing that consumes your thought life is what you worship. Turn to the person next to you and say, what are you thinking about? You know the stuff that keeps you up at night? You know, when your spouse tells you, oh, I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking all night. What were you thinking about? What is the thing that consumed your thought? And think about this. As if it's difficult enough struggling with our hell bent in our flesh to want something that doesn't belong to us, We now live in a world like any other where marketing campaigns are out there. They are feeding your envy, and you try your best. You might be trying your best not to, but it's there all the time. You might say, because we don't watch regular TV because, you know, we're enlightened. We do things like YouTube or we do things like Netflix and things like that, right? But there's still going to be some ads along the way. YouTube, there's definitely going to be ads. I I watch a thing called Tubi as well, Highway to Heaven, the the old series. I love that. But i got to get through the ads. And the ads keep popping up. You know the worst thing for ads isn't any of that stuff. It's social media. Do you remember the days when you can scroll through and it was just to do with stuff with your friends? Now there's ads popping up there. you got to get this product. It is the most amazing video camera possible. In fact, the stand will turn with you everywhere you go. And I'm thinking, wow, that is so, I need one of those. (laughs) I need one of those. You know, I'll tell you, it's new gadget. You think, I need one of those. I love that we've got so many modern day inventions. But my goodness, the ads that are coming at us. And think about the, the posts that we post today. 
Can I say to all our millennials and all the younger ones, we don't care about your food. I know this is news, but we don't actually need to see it. I, it's enough for you to say, we had a great dinner. That's really awesome. Now, if someone asks you, what did you have for dinner? Okay, then maybe you can post it. But most of the time, people really don't care. But you're there popping the thing there, you know, always doing that. And what do we, what do, we do on our Facebook? What do we do on our Instagram? Or now, I don't even use this one. TikTok, what do we do? We put on our best face. Do you take a photo of yourself on your TikTok and all that or some video when you first woke up in the morning? There's a booger on the side of your nose, the eye cock stuff over here, and you said, is that when you take your photos? No, no. You have a shower. You're doing your hair up, girls. You're putting the makeup on. You're looking fine. You got that duck face looking. I can't do it. I, I try to do it. Okay. That's the best I can do. I just look like a goose when I do it, not a duck. But my girl, uh, let me show you what it looks like. Come over here. Girl, uh, both of you two up here. Come in, Sophia and Tali. Just come up here real quick. Just, just run up quick. I only got a second. Quick. Come up here. I just want to show you. This is, what a, this is what the duck face looks like. This is the pose. Let's do it. Let's go. On three. One, two, three. No one does this anymore. Okay, there we go. Give him a hand, guys. That was, that was amazing. We put our best foot forward. You take a photo of your car. Just bought this new car. Oh, it's such a gift. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, it's a new gift. Or it might be that new fridge that you got in there. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, it might be like that holiday dust. You know what I really hate? View from the office. It's a picture of your feet on the beach. That's not a view from the office, you know. Or it's a view of the mountains with your feet in the front of it. I don't want to see your feet. View from the office. I know what you're trying to do. You're riling me up. I'm stuck as a desk jockey. I'm just sitting there slaving through work. And you put in there, view from my office. Am I the only one that gets riled by this one? You're sort of like, GT's like, actually, I'm the guy that actually put the photos up there. <laughs> he is. He's guilty of this. But man, and you think to yourself, I want that. I want that life. But you're only putting the highlights. That's your highlight reel that you're putting on social media. But people think that's your life. They think they got a better life than me. No, it's just the highlight reel. And so we're consumed by these thoughts. They got a better marriage than I do. Look at them. They're so happy. Every photo they take, they're happy. They don't take the photos of when they're fighting and they're screaming, you know, and they're home there. You should put that on TikTok. Love my wife. You stupid. Da, 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 da. Nobody does that. You might have, you know, that's the thing. We're so envious. We're filled with envy. But envy doesn't end there. Because people will attack you with their envy. They'll do, the Bible says that. You'll do everything to get that. You will kill for the thing that you cover. You do anything. You'll lie. You'll cheat. you steal. I remember when I was on the receiving end of an envious person. At one of my former jobs, I was the favorite employee by the manager. I was managing myself. I was a favorite employee. They loved me. I was a big deal. And then one day, it's like overnight, it just changed. You know that moment when you walk into a room and you feel like they've been talking about you, the tension is tight, but then it, they're acting like nothing happened. Like, is everything okay? I remember that, like that. It was like a, you could just cut through it. One moment I'm here, the next moment I'm, I'm over there. You're like, one moment I'm, I'm this guy here, the next moment I'm the guy down there. And all of a sudden, everything I say, everything I do, is being held under a magnifying glass, examining everything I'm saying. And I discovered only later 
that my colleagues were speaking behind my back. They were envious of me. They were envious of my position. And so they poisoned the mind of the manager so that every time they saw me do something, it was filtered by the poisonous perspective that they have of me. They're looking for, to tick the box. Yep, see? See, I told you. Envy and jealousy doesn't stop with a feeling, but it demands payback. I want to tell you this. Envy will lie to you. You think it's there to be a friend. It will lie to you. It's not okay. Consider Cain and Abel. Again, Adam and Eve, they stuffed up. Then the kids stuff up. Cain and Abel. Think about it like this. Cain decides one day, me and, me and God are like this. We're tight. I love him so much. I want to, I want to give him something. You know, I've been, I've been growing this stuff here. There's some fine vegetables over here. i got some beautiful fruit over here. I'm just going to give some of these things. I'm going to give it to God. So he builds himself an altar. I don't even know what it is. Just a bunch of rocks to present maybe like a plinth like this. He puts it on there. He sends back, God, this is for you because I love you. And his brother looks on and thought, thinks that's, that's a good idea. And so he goes to, but he thought, you know, I'm, I can't just give him any of my sheep because he looked after livestock. He thought, I want to I wanna give a firstborn because they're always the best, but I'm going to look for the best of my firstborn, the best of the best. And that's what he sacrifices. And guess what happens next? The Bible says that God showed favor towards Abel's sacrifice, the younger brother. In fact, according to the commentators, fire came down from heaven and burnt that sacrifice. It was a nice smell. We're talking first barbecue ever. Thinking, that's good. That's some good. I don't wonder if there's anything left he can just eat. That would have been so good. Meanwhile, Cain's sacrifice is still there. It's there the next day. And then the next day, as it's starting to rot, and flies are squirming around, and it's starting to stink, there's a smell of incense and barbecue over here. There's a smell of a rotten market. You ever been to the markets, you know? Everything's, yeah. That's what that smelled like. And so the Bible tells us that Cain began to envy his brother because he saw the favor of God. I want that. And then his jealousy kicked in as well because envy and jealousy work together. It's jealousy because I was number one. And all of a sudden, I'm over here. How did Abel get to be number one? I was the one because the Bible doesn't say that Cain was a bad guy. He was the older brother. He would have had relationship with God before Abel came on the scene. So Abel wasn't any better. But in this one instance, they were set apart and Cain couldn't handle it. And so envy begins whispering in his ear. You know, if you killed Abel, you'd be the favorite. And it began to consume his thoughts. Remember, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God knew his heart. And so God even gives him a chance. And he says to him, Cain, why is your face downcast? If you adjust your behavior, everything's going to be okay. But if you don't, sin is crouching at your door. It's waiting to take you down. And so Cain had an opportunity here where he could have said, Oh, God, I'm caught out. You know what? I am so sorry. But envy kept lying to him. No, no, no. If you kill Abel, you will become the favorite. Has that ever worked for you? It's never going to work. Think about it this way. There you are. You found this chicky babe, and she was fine. She's a fine girl. You were boyfriend A. You were the top of the food chain, and she found you, as she rightfully should have. 
and you're dating. The next minute, boyfriend B comes around. He's even better looking. He's even more successful. He's the captain of the school team. And so all of a sudden, next minute you're hearing she's, she's going on dates with this guy. What are you thinking in your head right now? You're thinking to yourself, you know what? He is the better man. Good on you, buddy. Well done. Is that what you're thinking? No. You, if, if you never, Obviously, you haven't been in high school. If you're in high school, you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to kill this guy. Because <laughs> Envy's saying, if I just take him out, her affections will return towards me. Does that ever work? No. It never works. But Envy will lie to you. Look at this. Let me go a bit deeper. Joseph's brothers were so jealous, so envious of the fact that their brother, the youngest brother, Joseph at that time, was the favorite of their father. He made it obvious, by the way, that they thought to themselves, if we kill him, we'll become the favorites again. How did that work out? Envy will lie to you. Saul tries to kill David. He's a king, King Saul. But they were singing Saul's songs like this. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. He couldn't handle the fact that a younger guy is becoming more popular than him. So what does he want to do? Envy says, just kill him. If you kill him, you'll be done away with that. You'll be the champion of Israel again. How did that work out? The Bible says he lost his kingdom and he lost his sons in the end. He lost everything because of that. They thought that their father, uh, this is uh, Joseph, Joseph's brothers, they thought the affection of the father would return. The Bible tells us that he grieved from that day on until he saw Joseph again for many, many years, decades of his life. Or consider Solomon's first case, King Solomon, wisest man in the land. Two prostitutes had babies and one of them had in their sleep, had rolled over their baby and suffocated. The baby died. So only one was alive. And during the nighttime, the prostitute that had killed her baby went and swapped her baby with a live one and put it in her bed. So when they woke up, and the other woman saying, that's my baby. No, it isn't. This is mine. You killed yours. You did that. And so they could not settle the affair. They went to Solomon. And guess what Solomon did? Someone says, okay, that's right. Let's just cut the baby in half. You can have half, and you can have half. And the woman who had killed her son, the envy, because she couldn't have it, thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Go ahead and kill the baby. Whereas the true mother says, no, 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 no. She can have the baby. And Solomon says, that's the true mother. Envy reveals the wickedness of your heart. And Proverbs 14.30 says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. We're so busy trying to play catch up with the next person wanting what they have that we're not even aware that envy is killing us. Galatians 5 verse 19 to 21 tell us that the acts of the sinful nature are obvious and begins to spell all these things out. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. And look at this word, jealousy, pops up there. Next verse, 21, and envy. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom. See, we're thinking about the big stuff. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. Well, actually, your envy caused you to, number one, serve something other than God, and you're worshiping idols. You already broke two. And then when you're confronted about it, you said, no, I'm not, I, I, I'm not envying. You just lied. You broke another one. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. In the parable of the prodigal son, we see the older brother so envious of his father's graciousness towards his younger brother that he refuses to celebrate his younger brother's return. And he missed out on the joy of seeing a family member restored. 
So while everyone else is partying, while, even though he owned everything, by the way, he's rich, he couldn't even enjoy what he owned himself. So let me begin to close with this. How do, how do we fix envy? I'll give you three things very quickly. Number one, stop comparing. You're comparing yourself, and you're competing with people who aren't even aware there's a competition. <laughs> They're just happy. You know, They're just buying stuff like here because God's blessing them. And they, don't have, they don't have a second thought in the world. Meanwhile, you're constantly in stress and anxiety trying to catch up. Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says, and I saw that all labor and achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. Isn't it amazing? Every attempt to try and get stuff is because you see someone else gets it. I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. And Solomon says, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The only person you should be comparing yourself to is Christ. That's it. In fact, Paul the Apostle, he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, run to win the prize. How many runners do we have in the house? Runners. You love to run. We've got one. One runner. Thank you. Okay, we've got two runners. Most of you and me were lazy. We've got to change that. Two runners. Now, you know this. If you're actually competing in a race, every runner knows this because their coach will tell them, do not Turn your head. Do not look for your opponents. Just run. Just run the race. And Paul's saying, run the race to win. I actually had to look this up in the magazine to confirm this. Uh, author Hannah Hartzell, she states, when a runner looks backwards, it is typically because they're afraid someone is catching up with them. We call that jealousy. I don't want to lose my position in this race. But they're so caught up looking for the other athletes that they lose and someone else beats them. Here's key number two. Is this good? Yes, okay. Key number two, how to defeat and how to fix envy because we want victory in our lives. Number two, be content. Be content. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like a chasing after the wind. I know people who are so well off, but they're never content because they're always thinking about the next, but I don't have that. Yeah, but you look at all you got. You got this, this, this. Yeah, but I don't have that. I don't have this. Never happy. And so envy creates a poverty of the soul. You can't fill it. Envy creates a vacuum that cannot be filled. Even when you get that thing, there's going to be something else. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul has found the answer to this. He's found absolute peace. Remember, walking in a position of victory. This is what it sounds like. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we misquote that. It's always about, you can do it, brother. You can win that race. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You can get that job. No, it's talking about being content. Being content. That even when you don't have enough, be content. I can do everything. I'll get by. It will be okay. I remember growing up, 
as a little kid on the mission field, my parents made ridiculous sacrifices. I sometimes chat with people and they don't, they don't realize it's like, I come from poverty. I know what that is. I know what it's like to have holes in your clothes. I know what it's like to have holes in your shoes, right? And you don't have the money to fix it or to replace it. And that you're relying on the grace of God. Again, I'm coming from a position of victory. I would get a hole in my shoe one day. And I kid you not, as God is my witness, thinking, oh, it'd be so good to have another pair of shoes. Someone would visit our house. My parents didn't have a lot of money. Keep this in mind. Didn't have, you know, they were in, uh, missionaries. Someone would come to the house. Hey, I've got a bunch of stuff I wanted to give away. I had these things. I bought them, a pair, of brand, brand new pair of shoes. And uh, maybe you know someone who can use them, Pastor Parditi. And so immediately they, they looked at me. And sure enough, I tried on. The shoes fit perfectly. This happened on a regular basis. Every time I needed something, God would provide. Mom had this chicken story that was amazing. We did not have meat, and it was months and months and months. We couldn't afford meat. We'd eat choco. You guys know that vegetable, choco? Really cheap vegetable, just to fill your tummy. We'd have choco, rice, and soy sauce. That was all we ate. And so I'm just a little kid. I'm like three years old, four years old. I grew up on choco and rice. And I remember one day we were given a gift of a kampung chicken, a village chicken. And if, I don't know if you know village chickens. They run around all the time. They are skinny. They're, it's like sinewy meat. It's very tough, but it was chicken. Praise God. And my mother cooked this thing. All of a sudden, my grandfather came to visit. And my dad said, give all the chicken to him. And my mom's like, what? We, we haven't had meat in months and months you want to give all i mean we can give him how about we give him like half the chicken can we just have some for the kids and you know he says no give it all to him we're going to honor my father and so she did she did we ate choco again for that night might have been spinach that night that was that's it and soy sauce i actually enjoy after a while just enjoyed soy sauce and rice that was my dish but you know what happened the next day after granddad left Someone came by and says, God told me to give you this two fat chicken, not kampung chicken, two fat chicken. Come on, give glory to the Lord for that one. We were so happy. And, you know, and this it's about developing a thankful heart because you know that your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even open your mouth to say, God, I need it. Can I have it? He's already provided your way. Oh, man. Oh, listen, if, especially if you're in need right now, you think, come on, God, come on, God, that's for me. Here's my third and final point. God gave Cain a warning. He said, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have you. And he gave them this instruction. Do what is right. What is right would have been, this is the third point, pray. Just pray. God, I, I'm so sorry for the wickedness of my heart. I just wanted to go there. I really wanted that. But, but you know, Lord... Your grace is sufficient for me. You give me everything I need. If I need that, I know you'll give it to me, so I'm not going to worry about it. I entrust it in your hands. I believe if Cain had stopped what he was doing and began to repent, we would have a totally different story in the Bible. His future would have changed. See, Cain, like I said, he was close with God. Don't think that this guy was a wicked man. He wasn't. He and God were tight. He was like this. But because of his sin, because he killed, because he just could not stand it and envy took over, the Bible tells us he had to, actually had to be kicked out of God's presence. 
That was the one thing that he complained about the most of that punishment. It wasn't the fact that he had to doom to wander the earth. He says, how can I live without your presence, God? F.B. Meyer, a very famous preacher, held meetings in Northfield, Massachusetts, and large crowds thronged to hear him. Then the great British Bible teacher, G. Campbell Morgan, he came to Northfield, and people soon went flocking to hear his brilliant expositions of Scripture. Meyer confessed at first he was envious. He said, the only way that I can conquer my feelings is to pray for Morgan daily, which I do. You see, to envy, why don't we stand to our feet? To envy is to forfeit every consideration of the incredible life God has blessed you with. Did you know that there is no other person like you in all of creation? Not one. You can talk about multiverse and all that. They don't exist. You are the only you that has ever been made. And you are so unique. And God so loves you in all your uniqueness that the Bible tells us with the children of God, he says, you don't have to worry about what to eat. You don't have to worry about what to wear. The, the flowers of the field, they don't work. They don't, do, they don't have a job. But look at what they're clothed with. He says, if the flowers can be clothed like that, imagine what God can clothe you with. You're thinking, oh, God's going to give me rags. And when he gives me food, he's going to give me gruel, porridge. No, God knows how to look after his own. All he asks is that you trust him. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are so unique, so purposeful in the kingdom of God, that he wants to ensure that everything you could possibly need on this planet will be provided for you. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? We just want to spend a bit of time with the Lord today. I don't know where you're at this morning. I know this much. Every human being has been envious at least one point in their life. And I know I'm exaggerating because it's way more than that. Perhaps today, you find yourself in a place where you don't have all you would like. Perhaps your marriage isn't right and you've been looking at other couples. I can't believe that had that marriage. You've been thinking about it. You've been envying them. For some of you, it keeps you up at night. You've been thinking about it and thinking about it. I just need this. If I can have this, my whole life will be okay. If I can get this job, everything will be okay. You've been envying. You've been fussing over it. You've been warring over it. This is not God's plan for your life. I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, you're saying, yes, pastor. There are things that I've been just thinking about. And I've been focusing my thoughts over this for so long. And I just want to let go of this thing today. If that's you, with every eye closed, every head bowed, as I look around this place, because I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? 
You can say, Pastor, you're praying for me today. Thank you. I see the hand. God bless you. Anyone else? You're praying for me today. Thank you. I see those hands. God bless you. Yep, in the back. God bless you. I see those hands today. Thank you. See that hand. God bless you. Wow. God is moving. Envy is lying to you. But God wants to speak truth into your life. This morning, I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hands, everyone, today? Just raise your hands to the Lord together. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I lift up these beautiful souls before you. And Lord, I know that your face is turning towards them right now in this holy place. And your love and your affection for them is very, very deep. And Lord, I thank you that your word tells us that you will take care of every need. In fact, it's the pagans, the Bible says, that worry and chase after all these things, but we don't have to. This morning, Lord God, I pray that you would remove that spirit of envy inside my brothers and inside my sisters. Lord, even as they acknowledge you today and acknowledge this terrible sin, Lord God, you called it the seven deadly sins. One of the seven deadly sins. Lord, as they confess it before you, let it go. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your grace and your forgiveness to flow through their heart right now flow through their life right now, Lord. I pray you make it obvious. Let them feel the sense of the presence of God over them right now. Holy Spirit, I just pray, drench them with your presence. Let them know right now that you love them, that they've been called according to your purposes to live an incredible life. This morning, Lord, I pray, set them free now. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. I just want to speak to the people right now. Just keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed. This might be the first time. This might be the tenth time. But you're hearing the message of the gospel. That means good news. Jesus has a plan for you. You didn't come here by accident. You might have thought, I'm just getting up, going to church like I normally do. No. God compelled you to come here today. Holy Spirit moved you to be in this place very purposefully. And some of you here today, God is calling you and saying, it's time to restore your life. It's time to let Jesus back in. This might be the first time you're thinking, I don't even know how to do that. How do I do that? I I feel something's different. You feel something has shifted and changed. But what do I do? It's going to be really simple. I want to lead you in a prayer. Because God is going to reveal things to you and change your life. If that's you, on the count of three, I want to invite you to lift up your hands just so I can see it and you can put it down again. I won't embarrass you. Okay? It's very, very important. This is your moment. But if that's you on three, would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? He's saying, yes, I want Jesus. I want him fresh. I want him right now. On three, two, one. Just lift up those hands wherever you're at. I see those hands. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. You can put them down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? God speaking to you today. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. The Lord is touching people today. He's been speaking to you. You've been in such turmoil in your life, but God's saying, I've come to set you free. I want to bring you peace. Is there anyone else? Just three more seconds. Three. Looking around the room. Two. Thank you. See that hand. And one. Wow. There's so many hands that have been lifted this morning. So I'm going to invite the whole church to pray. Many of you have said this prayer countless times. I hope you've memorized it. Because I want you to lead someone to the Lord with the same prayer. Let's pray together. And if you can repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me. Please forgive me. 
because I've stuffed up lots. But you love me so much. You wanted to pay the price for my stuff-ups. You call that sin. And you died for me. Today, Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me. Remove my sins. And give me a clean heart. Fill me with your spirit. So that I can live for you. Amen. Come on, let's give a hand to all those that made a decision this morning. Let's party today. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. You know, um, that those little things that happened 3P as a child still happen to this day. You know, just when we think that we don't have enough or maybe things are a bit tight next minute, just what we need is either on the doorstep or, yeah. Um, what a word. What a word. Now, there's so much in that that we need to unpack. And we, you can re-access all of our messages, everything that we've um, had from the platform before, SoundCloud, podcast, or um, iTunes? YouTube? Yes, yes. Okay, so just yep, pop Life City into your Google browser and, yeah. Let's finish with this one thing. I love that scripture. That's Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. For you are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In a nutshell, you are enough. You are enough because he's made you to be just enough. Amen. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.